everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Gary. Uh, Gary is Emerging56 on Twitter. Hi. A lot of you listening will know Gary. Um, he's a Man United fan. And um, it's the first time I've met Gary today, actually. Um, but we've had a, a few tweets going back and forth over the last few months. Yeah. And, <clears throat> excuse me, you wrote a blog um, in the early hours of this morning. Yes, um, I did. Which you posted to me about, I don't know, seven o'clock or something, which is brilliant. So please check out Gary's blog. I'll send a link to it with, um, with this podcast. One of the comments in there was um, Gary saying, personally, I don't want a diagnosis at all, but I need one for the best chance of getting welfare benefits. And even with a formulation that I wrote with a psychologist, I still can't get rid of my personality disorders label. That really stuck with me, I think, when I read your, your blog this morning. So there's this kind of catch-22. You don't want this diagnosis, but you need it to survive. Tell us how that mm. is. Um... So I don't really want a diagnosis because I don't think, I don't consider myself as ill um, and I definitely don't consider myself as having a disordered personality but um, it's difficult because I have to um, apply for welfare benefits quite regularly um, and as people know it's harder and harder to get enough to survive on and I think that I, I'm quite sure in thinking that the DWP use um, a quite diagnostical workbook to assess whether whether you need to get these benefits and you know even justifying um, when you've got a diagnosis is hard enough but you know, if you haven't got a diagnosis, I really don't think you'd get what you deserved. When were you first diagnosed with PD? How did that feel? Um, it was in 1993, and it felt okay. I thought, all right, you know, at last somebody, somebody knows what's wrong with me, or um, oh, I'm ill. Um, you know, somebody will make me better. Um, I believed that, you know, they were, the, they were experts, that you know the medication they gave me I needed it and I wasn't told anything when I was diagnosed they didn't tell me what a borderline personality disorder was they didn't tell me that they'd given me a prescription for antipsychotics and um, I was on them well I'm sort of still on them so it'll be 25 years um, so yeah and then about the formulation going back to that um, you know, I see um, at the moment on Twitter there's certain professionals um, and they are kind of arguing about what's the best thing for me. Um, and, and I'm just sitting there thinking, this actually is happening to me in real life. So after many, many years of asking, I finally get to see a psychologist about a year ago and um, we come up with... I said to him, you know, and he agreed, you know, you haven't got a disordered personality and we'll do a formulation. I then went to see the psychiatrist and um, I was telling him that, you know, I know he can't remove my PD label because it's really difficult to get it removed, but he could give me a new diagnosis of CPTSD. And he said, he wouldn't. And I was sitting there saying, but this has happened to me. Um, I fit the criteria. I, in fact, I think I need more than him. And he started saying, but you've got all the symptoms of BPD. And then I, 
I said that I wasn't going to see him again because he wasn't listening to me. So now I think there's going to be a meeting eventually with me, the psychiatrist and the psychologist. And who's got all the power in this? I haven't. There's been quite a few varied presentations here today. Mm. We've had people with lived experience, we've had psychologists, we've had a couple of psychiatrists. What are your reflections so far in the morning? Um, I feel quite uncomfortable, actually. Um, um, you know, some of the... It's not because of the content of the presentations. Um, you know, I found some of them that I agree with, you know, mostly. Um, I found some that I definitely don't. I was feeling really uncomfortable. I think it was Mike... Mike Crawford? Yeah. Um... I asked him a question about, because um, he was saying, you know, DBT, which is um, a, a therapy that you get if you've got the label, and MP, M, MBT. Um, and I was saying, look, you know, this is my experience. I haven't found it helpful. Um, I found DBT uh, very blaming. They were telling me that my behaviour, sort of in a roundabout way, my behaviours and my thinking was wrong, but it wasn't really trauma-informed. So, And then when he said, well, people do have bad experiences, I felt like that was quite dismissive. And, you know, fair dues, you know, if you, if you have this label and you're getting the support you need, whether you agree with it or not, you know, I think, you know, that's good. But what about all the people that, whether they agree with the label or not, are getting really, really shit treatment? Everybody knows it. Nothing changes for certain people. I mean, you know, I, I, I can only go on my experience and experiences of others that I know. So, you know, how on earth are people getting away with it? Why is the label still there if the so-called experts that invented it are saying that, you know, actually, we don't really, we don't really think we should have called it that, but, you know, the suffering's real and blah, blah, blah. And then you've got people who are also so-called PD experts also agreeing. You've got so many people there must be and I know from Twitter there's a lot of people so there's loads of people that have been saying for years and years and years I've got this label and I've had this really awful treatment and nothing's being done um the nice guidelines aren't being followed and you know if people like at this um event a sort of dismissing my experience when I actually really wanted to get the microphone back and say so you said something about research shows well where do they get these these um these statistics from because I've certainly put complaints in and nobody has ever said to me you know yeah you're right that shouldn't have happened you know you shouldn't have been left on medication for 25 years when for 10 years you've been saying you don't need it, you don't want to take it. I'm not forced to take it. I am when I'm in hospital sometimes, during a restraint, um, you know, or something like that. But I just feel so powerless. And, I, and today, I actually do feel powerless. And, and I feel like, 
you know, I do feel like I, somebody else could have been here instead of me. I feel like I've invited myself um, cheekily. And I know that my Twitter followers would have things to say. So, you know, and then there's people that maybe do want to say something. And how do you reach them? How do you reach people that are really hard to reach but want to say something? People that are locked up in, you know, forensic units, prisons, um, hospitals, you know, people that, you know, are desperate and desperate, really desperate. And, and, and where's it's the power imbalance. That's why I feel today. Um, not from everybody, don't get me wrong. I, I don't know, I just feel angry. I've been sectioned, you know, quite a few times. And, um, you know, I'm trying to get myself some support. I'm telling people, you know, stuff happened to me. And I'm telling you now that I have not had any specific trauma therapy. I've been told that I have to apply to the CCG and I have to prove that I am different from everybody else with a BPD label in order for them to fund it. Of course they won't, because it sets a precedent. So tell me, tell me what you feel you need from services to live um, a more stable life. Well, I don't want to be in services anymore, and... Um, but I do need some support, and I'm just thinking generally, the fact is that people who have a label like me don't seem to be given much choice about, you know, it's this, you know, all that was offered for me was DBT, and now this new best thing since sliced bread, which probably works for some people, called MBT. And I refuse to go to MBT. It's a personality disorder specialist centre, I don't want to go because of my experience with DBT, but I haven't got any other options. So there needs to be more options because everybody's individual. Some things are going to work for other people and some people, you know, different people because everybody's different. And then also, I think as well, that there needs to be sort of a bit more control. And it's really difficult for me to say that. But then and also go back to basic stuff like... You know what everybody deserves. Everybody deserves things that don't cost any money, like care and validation and respect and compassion. And um, I don't see that. I don't see that when I I don't ring the crisis team anymore. I've been told that if they think that I've, it's a high possibility, sometimes that I will kill myself. Yet they tell me to go and ring the crisis team, which isn't easy because I actually don't use the phone, or to go to A&E. And go to A&E, they'll let you go home. You ring the crisis team, which I have done in the past, and they'll say, well, the last time I was really suicidal, I went to see my CPN, and I said to her, I feel suicidal, but I don't want to go in hospital, thanks, because that, that does happen sometimes that we'll say, oh, you know, I think we might have to do a mental health act assessment. And I was just saying, I feel suicidal. I feel suicidal every day. Today I feel a bit more suicidal, you know. And to be fair, she said, let's make a plan, what you can do, and, you know. And then she said, we did make it together, and as I was going out, she said, why don't you fiddle with some blue tag? And that was it. And it's things like that, and it's things like 
do you want to go to the recovery college? No, I can't recover. How can I recover with all this stuff going on, with not really much help? Um, And then things like um, the M word, which is mindfulness. That You know, you need to be more resilient. You need to take more responsibility. Well, you know, I'm quite an intelligent person, you know. And even if I wasn't, you know, I just think it's just the same things that are kept being said. So I think, personally, that there needs to be a lot more choice in whatever service there is and more control, back to basics, um, you know, human right type stuff, and also the fact that, you know, there could be a lot more in the voluntary sector. Um, I've been to uh, Maytree in London, which is a crisis house, um, you can refer yourself there, and but you can only go once because obviously they, you know, they've got limited spaces. It saved my life, I'm telling you. And there's one in Leeds. I think somebody might be talking about one this afternoon. <coughs> and it's things like that. Why can't you know that would save the NHS money? But when I'm in a crisis house, I'm in a crisis house that's not not medicalised. You know, maybe with peer support workers, and you know, because that's what Maytree was. You know, people need to look that up sometime because... And there's the Leeds one. I've tried to set up um, an out-of-hours sort of safe space where I live with another person who, I'm going to say, participates in services. Um, And we've met with the CCG. We can't get funding. It's all too, too much for two people, really. You need... But... You know, we were trying to say this is going to cost you money, save you money. You know, people won't be going to A&E. You know, people won't be ringing the crisis team, hopefully. You know, or you've got the choice. It's great to get your voice on the That's podcast. all right. We have to leave it there. Thank you okay. so much for talking to me. And thank you, Elfie. <laughs> My pleasure. Mm-hmm.